Father, thanks that you love us, even as we are just still, not doing anything, but just being. And I pray that you would meet us this morning in um, a text that is often confusing and misunderstood and misapplied, that you would give us clarity on Jesus, what you want us to hear from it, that it is your word, and that we would apply it correctly to our lives Would you give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it, hearts to be soft and transformed to the image of your son? Father, I pray specifically for uh, almost 500 students from sixth grade to high school that are at Point Loma University right now with Redemption Camp. Pray for Aaron Daly as he continues to teach and give messages. Pray for all the ins and outs of things going on, the group leaders and the pockets of conversations that are happening even right now, that you would meet Um, our youth in unique ways and that they would leave that place changed. That your spirit would grab them and let them know how much they're loved and that that would change them from the inside out. Thanks for the the kids from Redemption Peoria that are there. Thanks for our leaders that are there. Pray that you would be with them in the midst of their time. Uh, We thank you for what you're doing and what you've done. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, sometimes as people, we just don't know what we're doing. Um, My senior year of college, I went down to the University of Arizona in Tucson, two hours south of here. And I was with a coworker. We had a break kind of in between our shifts. And so we jumped in my car and we were going to go get something to eat. It was a little later. It was like two o'clock. So it wasn't busy. Um, And we pulled into this restaurant, my favorite restaurant in Tucson. It's called the Rose Guard. It's a Chinese restaurant off Campbell Avenue. And we're getting ready to pull in, and it's kind of this mini mall kind of area situation. And so we pull in. As we pull in uh, my car, I see my wife's friend and teammate behind us. So I'm just being silly and goofy. I'm in the parking lot. I'm probably going like two miles an hour. My feet aren't, we're just kind of coasting. And I'm sticking my head out, kind of waving at her, just being kind of silly. I pop my head back into the seat, and at this point, I don't have my feet situated on the pedals, okay? So I pull into the parking spot, still coasting. I pull into the spot, and I go to what I think is the brake pedal, and I hit the gas. So it pops me up onto the curb, and I still think it's the brake, so I slam on it. And all of a sudden, I turn my wheel, realizing what's happening, And thankfully, there was uh, a newspaper receptacle. Newspapers were things we used to read. And and it was right in front of the restaurant. And so I slam into that thing, and it kind of buffers the hit. But I drive into the Chinese restaurant with my car. Now, because of the speed, I didn't break the surface of the wall. I basically just put a big dent in it. But on the inside, there was a booth that went flying out in the middle of the restaurant. Thankfully, nobody was sitting there at the time because it was kind of slow because it was 2 o'clock. The restaurant owner comes running out and says, don't leave. I'm not going to leave. This was an accident. We called the police. Everything got worked out. But man, I really got confused for a moment (laughs) in the midst of thinking this was the brake pedal and it was actually the gas pedal, and I slammed on it even harder. And sometimes, man, we just get confused as people. (laughs) I have a couple examples of confusing situations. Maybe you guys have seen this before. One person bought a new padlock, 
and they didn't want to lose their keys to the padlock. You can throw that next image up. Um, so this is their solution to it. And if you can't figure out why this is a problem, come find me after. Um, they were confused. They got it wrong. Uh, this next one, this person wanted to make some food, and there were uh, a pizza and cookie option. Uh, and they clearly did not understand. They just put the cookies right on top and baked the pizza with the cookies. You're supposed to do them separate. Uh, and then this next one was a second grader that was doing their homework. They were following the instructions. Uh, write the following words in alphabetical order. And so they actually did that. They actually did the task, um, but they didn't, they didn't quite understand the instructions of, of what was being said. Um, and so these are kind of funny examples of man, things we get wrong that are kind of right, but they're kind of wrong, right? If we take them literally in, in some way. And so um, what we're talking about this morning, these two verses, we're intentionally slowing down in the book of Colossians for this next section, because when we do something like that, it's kind of silly and funny. But when we take something as powerful as God's word and we misunderstand it and we misapply it, there's massive damage. There's massive damage. And this verse, specifically verse 18, has caused massive damage in the subculture of the church for a long, long time. And so we need to rightly understand what Paul is actually trying to say so that we don't continue to misuse and abuse this text. I like the way that Mark Maynell says it in his commentary in Colossians. He says this about this passage, the next couple of verses. He says, this passage is one of a little collection of New Testament passage. It parallels Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 2, and 1 Peter 3 that have caused more sweat and ink flow than most. To contemporary ears, these brief but punchy commands seem dated and even dangerous. This is why we need to see what Paul is and more significantly is not saying. So if you have a Bible and it's not already open, open it up to Colossians chapter 3. Um, if you have your phone, you can follow along that way. There's Bibles in the seats. There, it'll also be on the screen. And let's remind ourselves where we are in the story because context is always massively important when we come to Scripture, uh, this being uh, one of those situations. Um, if you are new with us, let's get you caught up to where we are in this letter in the book of Colossians. So um, there's a man named Paul who radically comes to Jesus. He's actually persecuting Christians. His name's Saul at the time. And we see in the book of Acts that Jesus meets him specifically to say, stop doing what you're doing. He has an encounter with the risen Christ and changes his life forever. And so he becomes Paul. And part of Paul's mission is to begin to plant these churches all over the region. And one of the churches he plants is in a place called Ephesus, modern-day Turkey now. It's where we get our book, Ephesians. While he's planting this community, this church in Ephesus, there's a guy there named Epaphras. And Epaphras is transformed by the work of Jesus, who Jesus is. And he's so transformed by it, he goes, I need to go back to my hometown, which is Colossae, and share this message with the people that I grew up with. Colossae is about 100 miles away from uh, Ephesus. So he leaves, goes back, starts this church community. Most scholars think it was small, only about 40 to 50. We don't know the exact number, but that's the church, this little home church in Colossae. He starts it, and then things start to happen. People start coming to Jesus, but then the pressures of the outside world start infecting this community. So then 
uh, our friend uh, Epaphras goes back to see Paul when he's in prison. And he kind of shared like, hey, this is what's going on here. Can you help us? Give us some insight. Give us some wisdom of how we need to combat some of the things that are happening. So Paul writes this letter that we get as the letter of Colossians. And in chapter 1, what Paul is doing, he's reminding them who they are in Christ. Because you are in Christ, we've been praying for you that this truth that you were once dead, now you're alive. All these unbelievable things are true of you because of Jesus. And then the back end of chapter 1, he talks about who Jesus is. He puts him as supreme, as preeminent above all these other things. And because of that, he's saying, listen, my whole goal, even being in prison, is to help present you mature in Christ. He says at the end of chapter 1, if you remember that. He doesn't want them to stay infants in Christ. He doesn't want them to be adolescents in Jesus. He wants them to grow into maturity of what it means to be fully mature, to know who they are in Jesus. And then in chapter 2, he starts helping them see that these things, uh, specifically the kind of Jewish legalism that was in play happening, and then Greek philosophy that was happening in their culture was kind of beginning to pull them away from who they were in Christ. And he says, don't let them deceive you. And he goes through this list of how you can be deceived by this group or this group. And he's saying, be in Christ. That is the way that you are going to solve and not get drifted into these other ways of thinking and being. How does you do that? That's what he starts in chapter 3 when there's a kind of a hinge verse, verses 1 through 4, where he says, listen, here's how you beat this, these pressures from the outside world, from these two groups. You seek Christ and you set your mind on him. It's an intentional effort of when you wake up in the morning to seek and set. You don't just roll over and just go, well, I'll just live another day. You're going to get pulled away from these things in the culture. You have to be intentional in your life with Jesus to seek after him and to set your mind on the things he tells us to set our mind on. And then he unpacks, we talked about it last week, this list of things that we're putting off. These things are dead to us. We don't live this way anymore, but we put on these new things. And he's reminding them who they are in Jesus. Listen, if you have dirty clothes and you get clean, you don't put those dirty clothes back on again. You put those things to death. You put on these new clothes, these clean clothes. And then what he's going to do in this next section is he's going to talk about what that specifically looks like. And the reason he's going to use these categories, he's going to talk about marriage, he's going to talk about parenting, and he's going to talk about the work relationship. And specifically, when we look at the culture, what he's doing, he's saying, listen, you can act a certain way on the outside, but behind closed doors, in your most intimate relationships with one another, this is what it looks to live in harmony and to live in love and to love one another well. So that's where he's going to go. And that's why we're slowing down specifically because, again, this next section over the next three weeks, including today, has been misused a ton in the subculture of the church for power, for control. Not just these two verses, but we're going to see in the next couple of sections, in the next couple of weeks, how a lot of the times these, view, these verses get pulled out of their original context and they get used for power and control in horrible, horrible ways. And we have to unwind that and say, what does it mean? What does God mean in his intention for us in the midst of that? So uh, we are looking at Colossians chapter 3. Again, let me read the text one more time. Verse 18 and 19, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. As we begin to pray about this text and think through um, what do we need to hear collectively in this community, I thought, 
um, I'm going to need help with this. Uh, rightly so. And I'm going to need uh, a woman's voice in the midst of this text. And so I'm going to bring my wife up, Tree Demeter. Most of you guys know her. You could clap. Um, but even some of the work we've done in some of the spaces that we've led in with marriages conferences, we've talked specifically about this verse, what it means, what it doesn't mean. And so I just think your voice is very important in this. And um, hopefully it will be received well, right? Thank yeah, you. Who knows? Okay. I just got real nervous. You I was. Did. I had all kinds of feelings about this. It took me a process to say yes. I'll come sit up here, I and I was doing great. And then over there, my heart started. <laughs> it was like I feel it in my body. This this feels really heavy, um, and so I hope you guys will have. <clears throat> See, I'm nervous. I need my water up here. Um, I hope you guys will have a lot of grace because I am in process about this verse, honestly. So. Um, when John was like, I would really love your voice up there, I have been digging into it with some of the work we're doing. You know, there's not, you don't always have to pay attention to it. And so I have been and, and learning a lot, but I am learning and in process. And um, I feel lots of feelings about this verse. Like it makes me feel angry. I've sat with lots of women and heard lots of stories and some really extreme crazy stories at these conferences just with these women for brief moments with some of you, I've sat and heard um, stories of how you were raised and how that has affected you. And even some of you might be triggered sitting in this room today. And so I've been praying for you. Um, and yeah, just know that I'm in process as a woman. I don't speak on behalf of all women or all Christian women or all believers in this room. Um, but I would love to share and, and just use my voice and share with you guys what I've been learning and, and my response to this as a woman. And I'm thankful for a pastor and a husband who is like, we need a woman's voice up here. So I wrestled, I said yes, and then I said no. <laughs> and then I prayed and I was like, okay. And he had, a, he had to listen to all of my you know, feelings. And then I kept saying, what do you think? And then I kept talking over him. <laughs> He's like, I, I think some things, but Do he, you wanna know what he, I think? Because yeah. you asked me and then you're going for the next 15 I was minutes. Like, I guess I get really tall and my arms start moving. So that's yes. all gonna come out and let's just all be friends and be honest and have grace with each other. Totally. So that's where we're at. And here's the deal. Um, for some of you in the room, you're like, there's no problem with this verse. Because you have husbands that love you and care for you and do what they're supposed to do. And so you're going like, I don't see the problem here. But for others, they have massive pain because men have used this verse as ammunition to hold power and control unrightly. And so we just need to talk about that. What, again, uh, we don't want to just throw it out, right? But like, what does God want for us in this text? It's in the Bible. There's reason for it. How do we understand it rightly? Right? Yeah. Um, and I think to, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Are we right here? No, we're right here. here. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. See, you guys, I'm all over the place. Um, yeah, I, I think we come into this verse with, in the very least, like some misunderstanding because what we miss in the cultural context of it and what we read, like I, I don't even love the word submission because it's so nuanced and it has such a different meaning than maybe it even had in this context. We hear it. I hear it differently, and I don't even love using that word. I think that we miss it. Um, and, and I think just acknowledging how much it has been misused, like I appreciate you saying that, and in the very least misused, but abused. Like women have, this has been held over women and families and children in abusive ways um, and in that church subculture, but then also just specifically in marriage, like behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. 
So parts of me want to, I'm like a glass half full kind of girl, positive. These verses are hard, like, let's just fly by it. Like, why are we sitting in this verse <laughs> and just slowing down and breaking it down? I would love to just get to the, the positive, the good stuff. Um, part of me wants to throw it out. Part of me wants to completely change the language. Um, I don't want to just agree with tradition because that's what's been said and done before. But if this really is God's word and we really believe it, like, we, we need to wrestle with it and grapple with it and, and break it apart. And so if God, in, in Christian marriage, God is revealing something about his very nature. He is showing us, a, it's revelatory. He's showing us, he's revealing a part of who he is through our Christian marriage. I don't want to mute any of that revelation by not digging into this. As, as much as it makes me shake and brings tears and makes me wrestle and makes me uncomfortable, like if I'm going to really seek after what is God revealing, then I have to sit with this and wrestle. So I hope you guys will wrestle with this today. Yeah, that's good. And I think this is helpful just to say uh, from the front, just to kind of set the table, um, God is revealing something through marriage, right? Now, uh, that doesn't mean in some of the Christian subcultures that marriage is varsity and being single is JV. That's not true. That's just not true. We don't see that in the story of the Bible, even though sometimes that's subconsciously picked up in our church subculture. Um, Paul, the guy writing this, was single by choice. Uh, Jesus, the perfect human, was single by choice. And so uh, we don't want to communicate that marriage is it, but we also want to say there is something in the design of marriage that God created for us to look at it, and it shows us a picture of himself. And so whether you're single in this room and you go, I don't know if I'll ever be married, don't check out and go, well, this isn't for me. This is just for husbands and wives. Because there's something about the union of marriage that we get to see, that we ought to see, Christian marriages specifically, that point us or give us a picture of who God is and his story. So three things just to, to make you aware of what that could look like in the midst of seeing a couple that is married, that is trying to walk with Jesus. Um, it shows the promise or the covenant about who God is. It's a picture. Uh, a marriage should not be a contract. I do my part, you do your part, and if you don't hold up your end, I'm out of here. That's not the picture that God has for us. The picture that God has for us is covenant, that he is covenanting with his people, just like we should be covenanted with one another. And there's failure in the midst of that. There's patience in the midst of that. And, and that's a picture of how God operates for us. So we should see that in a Christian marriage. That's one reason. Another reason is unity. We see or taste the idea of God being in unity with himself as he is one God in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we should model in our Christian household as a husband and wife this unity that is seen for other people to go, okay, that's what it actually means to be unified. And God is a God that is unified even within himself and the Trinity. So there's a promise, there's unity, and then ultimately it should point to love. That we should be able to look at Christian couples and see that there's a sacrificial love, that if I love you, I am dying to myself continually for your good. And you are dying to yourself continually for my good that models how Jesus dies for us, his church. It's a picture of who God is. Now, we screw it up all the time because we're humans. But there should be taste of that in a Christian marriage, that people that are trying to pursue Jesus, it should be a picture to the watching world. 
And so we just want to make that known as we think about marriage and we get into some of these verses, which the context is marriage that Paul is talking about, that's helpful for us to understand. So even if you're single in this room, don't go, well, this doesn't apply to me. It still applies to all of us as we kind of go on like, okay, what is God trying to say in his economy of the kingdom? How do we get a better picture of who he is based on some of these things? And I do think in marriage you can get a better picture, but I, I don't think his revelation is just for the people in the marriage. It's yeah. for this watching world. And so, like, the Miles just had their baby, you know? And so when I see April sending me these pictures of her with her baby, does something in me that shows me something about God as a parent, even though that's not me mothering that baby. So that's the same thing in our marriage. Um, so hear that, you know, this, this is bigger than just the people, the husbands and the wives. But we will be speaking directly to husbands and wives as yeah. well. Okay, so let's read this verse again because I love saying all these words, right? Um, okay, so wives, submit to your husbands. Let's break this first part down, my favorite part. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So I even think before we, if we're using this S word, before we even, before we talk about what it is, we have to, we have to break it all the way down. We have to talk about what it's not and um, re, like kind of, rewire a lot of that stuff going on there. So um, submission is not obedience. Those are two different words in the Greek. Obedience is like you have authority over me. Um, I'm going to do what you say because you know better. Submission is I have this power that I'm choosing to yield for the greater of a higher purpose that I believe in. So submission is not obedience. God is not saying wives obey your husbands. He's saying wives, wives have this great power in marriage um, and maybe go out on a limb and say even sometimes hear, hear me and have grace with me more power than husbands in this way of a man's like greatest fear is failure and God is calling a husband to lead um, and so and a, and a lot of times for a woman greatest fear is to like trust and, and so God is asking us in Because you have to follow me right? And that's scary. God is asking us that. in marriage to walk into our greatest sphere. And I think that's on purpose. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that women, like even in Proverbs 14, one, it says a woman can build up. Oh, let me see. Where did I put it? A wise woman can build her home up, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Like there's this great power that I know I know all of his weaknesses, I know all of his failures, and I have the power to speak life or death into this man. And unfortunately, I've seen times I have squashed him. As he steps into his greatest vulnerability to lead well in all areas, in, in our marriage, in our home, in his work, I, I get the behind the scenes vision of him. And as he's vulnerable and lets me see him, I have the power to just squash this man. Like wives, there is such a great power and in this, in this role that God has given us. And so I think God is saying, how are you going to steward that? Like, what is the posture of your heart, of your heart as you walk into marriage? So um, submission is not obedience. Um, it is choosing to yield that power that God gives you in that position. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Uh, we're going to talk 
in the next passage where it talks about children obey your parents. Uh, Paul is specific in his language. He's not saying, again, like you, you mentioned, wives obey your husbands. He's saying submit to them. And even that delineation, I think, is really helpful. We heard an illustration one time uh, that was helpful for us in kind of this, this context of this wordplay is if uh, there's a dad and he is going to rob a bank and he brings his five-year-old along and he gives the five-year-old instructions, hold the gun this way, hold the bag for the money this way, and then they get caught. They go to court. The child is not going to be held responsible because the child is just obeying the instructions of his father. He's getting instructions from somebody that has authority and power over him. Now, the father has misused it in this current scenario, but the child's not going to get charged or held accountable with that. Now, if the same scenario happens, but instead of a five-year-old son, the husband says, hey, wife, we're going to go rob a bank, and you hold the gun this way, you hold the bag of money this way, and then they get caught, they go to court, she is going to get held responsible because it's an issue of submission, of yielding, but you still have power in the midst of that, uh, which again, we'll talk about the kids and fathers next week, but I think that's helpful to know. Yeah, that was helpful for me, for me to hear it put that way of, um, like, wives are responsible to the Lord. Like, your submission is to the Lord, and you are responsible, like, you have to, you have to, answer to God with your decisions and what you do and don't do. Um, okay, so we're going to look at what biblical submission does not mean first. So biblical submission does not mean that you are inferior or that you lose your identity. So God creates us with equal value, um, different, different roles, equal value. Um, he's really, really clear about that. Um, but so like if you're a woman who um, is maybe louder than your husband, or you speak up more than your husband, or maybe you take on some different roles that in specifically church culture is more of a husband role. Maybe you're taller than your husband. Maybe you're taller than your husband. <laughs> yeah. Um, God wants, God made you uniquely who you are, and he wants the fullness of you to be in that marriage, the fullness of your husband to be in that marriage. There is space for both of those. There's like a beauty. That's how he made it for both of those to show up and what they look like together. And so he wants you to be fully who you are. So submission does not mean that you are inferior or you lose your identity. Um, and even in 1 Peter 3, we, we see um, Sarah's listed for, you know, be a wife like Sarah. And it talks about her having this like quiet spirit and, um, and trusting the Lord. And it doesn't say that she has a quiet mouth. <laughs> Like, she, she does not have a quiet mouth. Like, she, she says lots of things. And God even tells her husband, listen to your wife. Um, and so what does that look like? I think that's one of the things that's been, you know, sometimes mistaught and misused is that means to be quiet. Like, when I think of submission, that's one of the reasons I don't like it, of, like, be quiet. Like, mm -hmm. what does this look like to have this quiet spirit? And I think that's a heart posture. Mm -hmm. I don't think that is it, – it looks like the women in this room, we all look so different and there's such beauty in that. Like, let's celebrate who God made you to be. And there's fullness. The fullness of you can, can show up in marriage. And that's how it's supposed to be. Um, biblical submission does not mean that you blindly obey. And so if there is mistreatment happening, if there is abuse happening, um, it, just like the bank robbery analogy, like you are responsible to the Lord. Um, he is not asking you. He's clearly okay. The Bible is really clear about misuse of power um, and abuse of power, like the Bible talks about that a lot. It's really clear. So if you are a wife in a Christian marriage where there is mistreatment or abuse, it is not submission to stay in that marriage. 
Like it might be submission to set up these really strong boundaries to even maybe create a bit of a, a crisis of like, we need to stop this. And so there's a difference um, with empowering your husband, using that power to bring life in that marriage and to bring life out of who your husband is or enabling. And God asks us to use our power to hold our husbands accountable. And so I think that can look like, I mean, that's what, that's what love looks like. So um, I, I think that, yeah, yep. And let me just clarify too, yeah. um, because you said it means you don't necessarily need to stay in that marriage, I think was maybe the language you used. Um, that's not like a one-time, oh, I feel like I'm out of here. We're not suggesting that divorce is the right option for you. We're suggesting that if you are in an abusive relationship, you need to seek help as best you can and not just go, well, I'll just, I just have to be abused and that's it. That, that's not the heart of the Lord and that's not the heart of the church community and we need to come alongside each other in the midst of that. The best thing you can do for somebody that's abusing you is hold them accountable and be honest and get help. That is actually the best thing for them and the best thing for you. Yeah, it is breaking that cycle of abuse. Yeah. You know, like God is, I think what I'm trying to communicate is God is not, you are not held in that position and staying in that abusive situation under this idea of like, this is what submission is. Yeah. That's not biblical submission. Yeah. Um, like ultimately we are submitting to the authority of God. So like even the back half of this verse, submit, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. What is, what is fitting to the Lord? Like I am looking past my husband to see the Lord. If it does not line up with his word and his heart, then I need to, I need to lovingly like call my husband out in that. Mm -hmm. And that can look in different ways, mm -hmm. you know? So that is, that is what I mean by like, there is power in this role that God gives us in marriage. Um, <coughs> biblical submission does not mean that you give input, but that your husband makes all the decisions. Um, so like we, we come together to make all of our decisions. There's stuff that John sees in a perspective that he has that I totally miss. And we need that when we are making decisions. If we are gonna be, you know, rep, like reflecting who God is, I'm gonna do that better when I'm listening to his perspective. He is gonna do that better when he is listening to my perspective. So am I bringing all the things that I see and the ways that God has created me to the table and all of the wisdom and the ways that God is speaking to me and he's doing the same and that is how we're making our decisions. So it doesn't mean Here's what I think, but whatever you say, that goes, because that's submission. It is, we are making decisions together, bringing both of our, our wisdom and power to the table. Yeah, and that's really where, on the back end of the verse for the husbands, where it can be abused or used as kind of a trump card of like, well, I'll listen to what you have to say as a kind of a consultant, but ultimately I'm the one that makes all the decisions. Yeah, I already get tall. And right? Mad. Yep. As you should. Versus yeah. like, what's actually best for her? What's actually best for our kids? What's actually best for our marriage? And that I don't just take that because I'm supposed to listen to my wife, but like she has something I need. As I lead our family and are held accountable for our family, I need to be wise in listening to my, what my wife has to say. Yeah, and I would say the same thing. Like I, he has something that I need. Like it's this mutual dependence on each other, which is how God sets it up. So am, am I doing that with him um, and not running over him? And we'll get into that a little bit later. But it does not mean that you give your input, but your husband makes all the decisions. Um, and biblical submission does not mean that you follow your husband into sin. And so we talked about this a little bit, but we have an ultimate authority to submit to, and, and that is God. 
And so if there is, there is something he is asking me to be a part of that is sin, that does not mean I follow him into that. A submissive woman puts her foot down and says, but what's my heart posture when I do that? I think that's what submission is. It's more of this heart posture um, than having like no voice. It means how am I using my voice? Like actually there's a lot of power in my voice specifically in this relationship. So how am I using that power in that moment? And that's what I think God is asking us as wives specifically. Like, what does it look like when I confront my husband? Is, am I still like, hey, listen, I'm on your team, but here are the things I'm seeing. And that happens all the time. <laughs> like we, we have those real life conversations. I mean, we did this weekend. We, yeah. had, we worked through those things. You know, some hard stuff this weekend where we were like, this stuff was really into play because it's easy to say it um, maybe not as easy to say these verses, but to play it out when you're like all heated and you're pushing into each other and all of your old junk is coming out and the ways you were raised and what you saw growing up comes out, this, this is really hard. And I think if we understand there's something bigger happening, there's something profoundly spiritual happening and what God is inviting us into with this, then there's, there's just something so rich there that we miss because I know I miss because I just get prideful and stubborn and hurt and fearful. And anytime I am not... Either one of us is not in submission. It's from fear. Yeah. It's from fear yeah. because I'm not trusting. I'm not trusting you, but ultimately I'm not trusting God. Right. And so, so that's what biblical submission does not mean. Yeah. So if that's not, if that's what it doesn't mean, which again, we're just taking time to unwind it. We're going to spend the bulk of our time, obviously, on verse 18. What does it mean? If this is a verse that we're supposed to listen to and be aware of, as Paul is saying, like, hey, if you want to live in harmony, if you want to live in love and gentleness and patience, this is what you need to do. What exactly does it mean? All right. So biblical submission does mean um, giving up your desire to control. And let's just skip it. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, this one's a hard one. And I feel the hardest as we raise teenagers, I think control fit a little neater into my, I was more blind to it when they were little. And then now I have no control. I just really know it. Um, so, like I said before, God is asking a husband and a wife to walk into their greatest fear in marriage. Like, there's a lot of risk for him for failure as he leads. And so God is inviting him into being vulnerable and independence and rootedness in, in who he is in Jesus to lead in this way, which I can squash. I can, I can kind of nag and, in the very least, nag, but even say really harsh things that are gonna shut him down. And as a wife, there's this great risk to trust. Like, what if I don't have control? And we are gonna do things differently. Like when I go somewhere, especially when they were little, like if I'm gonna go out for the weekend and leave the kids with him, or I set everything up, leave a healthy dinner, here's what it is. We're getting pizza. We had, I don't know. We had like, we are done with our TV time for the day, and I come home and I'm like, what the heck? Like, where's bedtime? Like, where's the chicken I cooked? You ate pizza? Where's... The best is when we go to Target separately when we had toddlers because, like, she's with them all the time. And she had... We had three kids, a three-year-old, a one-and-a-half-year-old, and a newborn. That's just kind of how it happened for us. And it was like you had them holding onto the car to do Listen, it. Listen, I was alone in a Target parking lot. I had to make sure they were all safe. We had a setup. They were uh, they were structured. I would take them as, like, wild banshees. Like man. a circus. Like, <laughs> I'm inside the clothes we thing, like, playing Target, tag with them, you know? and they just ran. And I was like, what is, what's happening? He's like, this is how we do Target. They ride bikes and a hula hoop. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm going to go get a Starbucks that. and see you guys later. You're freaking me out. Like, we have, we have a good time. Who's in charge? But he is so fun. 
You guys, we are watching old videos. I'll make it quick because this is taking our time. But we, are, we didn't plan for this. We are watching old videos as our oldest graduated. That was like a thing I needed to watch old videos. And you know what I saw when I looked back? And I was like a child development major. I'm super passionate. I'm reading and learning these books. I feel really in tune with our kids. I, I stayed home with them and that. It wasn't working very much. And so um, I was like, okay, hey, here's what we're doing right now. And not that he wasn't parenting, but we were trusting my gut a lot and my knowledge. Um, and it's just, you know, it has changed a little bit as they get older, but we're watching those videos and what I can see is like, I so missed like what he had to bring to the table because I knew what was best for those kids and what was right. And he was bringing such a beautiful element that I was, I'm like, I wish we leaned into it even more and it would have been messier and more painful and more conversations of how do we do this together? But he's, I'm kind of glad we didn't lean into my, my way more. <laughs> I was like, I'm really glad you are who you are. And and kept our is. children it's alive, messy. you know? It's messy and it is how it is, but, oh. but there is just, like it's supposed to look like this and it's leading in plurality and it's mm -hmm. hard and it's slow mm -hmm. and it means lots of hard conversations after the kids go to bed. Um, anyway, okay, we're getting off topic. So biblical submission, it does mean giving up your desire to control. And I do think submission requires far more strength than taking over does. Yeah. Okay, so he's gonna do it. My whole point of all those stories was it might not be wrong, even if it's different than how I would do it. So maybe they had pizza and they watched movies. Y'all, they connected and they had so much fun and they are gonna remember that. And it's not as big of a deal as I thought it was. And that stage, I look back at those videos and like, I should have let them jump all over the couches. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but you know, like, like I, should, I should go tell me more. Like what, instead of my way is the right way to do this thing. Um, and I think that has been ripped away from me in these teenage years. Um, he's like the teenage whisperer, he's awesome. And I'm like, I don't know what we're doing. So I do think submission requires a lot of strength and, and it is easier to just take over. Um, and, and I think something to think about is like, what are you revealing about Jesus and the way that you treat your spouse? Mm -hmm. So what are people seeing? Mm -hmm. Like there's kids watching, there's people in your homes as you guys do communities together. Like what, what are we revealing about Jesus and the way that we treat each other. What are your kids seeing if you have kids? You can look all nice here with your shirt buttoned up and all the things and, hi, hey, good to see you. But your kids see what happens behind closed doors in your house, right? And that's what Paul is kind of driving to. He's like, listen, this is what it looks like to live in harmony and unity with each other, not for the outside world, but for the inside community, the small community of 60 people that are shoved into spaces with one another. What does it look like to love? Yeah. And I think that's why he does that. It's easier on the outside. Right. This is where it's hard. What's right. it look like when you drive away from here? Mm -hmm. Biblical submission does mean viewing support as complementary and not a competitive way of relating to your husband. Like we are not trying to win at this thing. How can we complement each other? And biblical submission does mean that you're cooperating with your husband as he seeks to lead your marriage and your family. So maybe, maybe if there's a wife in here and she's like, I wish my husband was a little more bold. Like maybe you feel like your husband's a little more passive. What would it look like to empower that husband? Like what would it look like to find something he's doing really well and speak life into that and watch what happens with that? Um, so yeah, I think just remembering Christian wives that there is, there is just this power to speak life or death into your husband to build up that house or tear it down with your own hands. Yeah, that's really good. There's a lot there. Thanks, babe, for sharing that. Um, let's just look at the back end of uh, 
not the back end of 19, but just verse 19, really, really briefly, we're going to fly through this. Uh, we just felt like it was worth taking the time to kind of unwind some of that word submission. Um, but ultimately, you guys know, like, any Christian life is ultimate submission to Jesus. That's what it is. It's yielding your power because you have power. God has given you agency in your life, but to yield it to what he says is best, even not understanding it at times, that is really the heart behind all Christianity, right? Is to have a submission heart posture to what Jesus is doing in your life and letting him work through you rather than you just working on your own. And that's how kind of it plays out in the context of marriage. Um, the, verse 19 just says that husbands are called to love their wives and not be harsh with them. This is an interesting word. The word harsh is actually translated in the Greek as embittered. So what Paul is really after is like if your wife is submitting to you and the power dynamics here at play are totally different than the ones we have in our culture, right? Uh, women, children, and even servants or slaves had zero power in this culture. So when Paul even says to the husbands, love your wives and not be harsh with them, that would be countercultural. They would go, wait a second, I have to care for my wife? I have to not treat her like an object? I have to love her well and not be harsh with her and not be embittered with her or bitter with the decisions she's making? This is what it means. And you start to become harsh with one another and harsh with your wife because what she's saying and what she's doing or what she's not doing is a problem for me because it messes with my control and my ideals. And Paul is saying, stop doing that. You need to love your wife. She's not some employee that you have. She's your partner in ministry and life and love with your parents and how, how you take care of your kids. And so our call as husbands is to love our wives and not to be harsh with them. I don't know if you've ever had anybody harsh with you or you've been harsh with other people. Typically when I've been harsh with other people, it's because I'm trying to grab for control. I don't like what's happening and so let me raise my voice a little higher because you're not understanding what I'm saying. And I start getting harsh. And Paul's saying, don't do that. The whole list of things we're putting on, gentleness, self-control, patience, that whole list he gives us right before this verse to ultimately love each other. You won't find harshness in any of those descriptive words. It's just not there. And so what is our model? Our model is Jesus. What did Jesus say when he talked about leadership? Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45 say this. Jesus is talking about leadership, and he says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must also be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must also be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the model for us as husbands. Jesus is the model for us as wives to love each other well in the midst of our marriage to a watching world. And that's our heart and that's our desire to say, what would it look like for you that are married in the room to move towards each other in love and care more than you have? And some of us have to move further along than others, but we're all trying to move closer to Jesus. And as we move closer to Jesus, we'll move closer to each other. So if you're married in this room, I would just encourage you as you leave to talk about the sermon, just go, what did you hear? Maybe a good question is go, how can I be less harsh with you? How can I love you better? Uh, what's a good question for the women? In the room? Mm. <laughs> don't ask if she's submitting. Well, I don't know. Um, yeah, I would just ask, you know, do you, how, how do you feel like I'm using my power in marriage? 
Yeah. Every woman's different, so I don't know. That's good. Ask everyone what she would like to be asked. Ask yeah. your wife what she would like to be asked. That's good. Okay. I know that was a flyby. Even on the back end of the verse, we cut a bunch of stuff so we could talk about Target and my <laughs> lack of parenting skills. Um, I will say, too, I, I'm really open, um, even like you, you know, said what you heard me say. I hope I didn't. I hope if I watch this back, I don't I disagree with anything I said. But I'm really open to conversations. Like, I have sat with some of you already and over at coffee shops and had conversations. So if there is something, like, I'll be around after service, and if you don't have my number, I'll give you my number. If there's more conversation you'd want to have, like, yeah. um, not just wives, but women. Yep, yep. 35 minutes is not due process for all the things that can get unpacked and what gets heard and things like that. So, yeah, we want to be available to you guys. And the church in general wants to be available to say, okay, what does it look like to lean into this piece of what Paul is trying to teach us and what Jesus is trying to teach us? So let me pray and we'll respond. Father, thanks for your goodness to us. I do pray that you would help us not be confused about instruction, um, but to yield to it and understand it rightly in the context, how do we love each other well? Help us do that in our marriages. Help us do that in our singleness. Help us do that if we're, we have uh, kids and we're parenting. Help us do that if we're um, uh, employers and there's people underneath us, which we'll talk about in the next several weeks. And so uh, give us your heart, Jesus, for uh, how we need to live, how we need to be mature in you, that we would grow into Christ's likeness. So help us do it this morning. We pray it in your name. Amen.